All right, thank you. Um, actually, would you remain standing for the reading of God's Word? Sorry, to, sorry about that. Uh, we are in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. It says, Paul says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, and all God's people said, amen. amen. You can have a seat. Uh, beautiful prayer. This is, I want to teach to you uh, Paul's prayer in the middle of Ephesians that he prays. Paul prays some 43 times in the New Testament, if according to my account of trying to research it. Uh, this is a very unique one. Uh, it's actually one of the only prayers we see him share that what he's doing with his body as he's kneeling for, uh, on the ground, kneeling, praying for his, his, this church and, and all the churches in Ephesus. Paul is also in prison when he writes this. Um, and I think this passage what it really boils down to in this prayer is Paul's heart. He prays for three things, so that you would um, be filled with the power of the Spirit. Right? There's three that's, that you would be filled with the power of the Spirit, that, you would, uh, that Christ would dwell in your hearts richly and, and experience the love and the breadth and the width and height of the love of Christ. And then three, that you would know have the knowledge of God that surpasses knowledge, like that you would know the unknowable, like that, that you would know what can't be known. Now, I'm supposed to teach on this. Like, <laughs> so help me, Jesus. Teach on how to know what is unknowable <laughs> today. Uh, but I think what really stands out to me in this prayer is uh, the reality of what Paul is doing in this passage. There's like this gap. Um, between what is promised in chapters 1 through 3 and what is real life experienced in chapters 4 through 6 of the book, this prayer serves as a hinge between all of the promises of God in chapters 1 through 3 and then the reality of life in chapters 4 through 6. Um, I want you to think of this prayer of Paul. Like he's praying for us to experience God in such a deep way. And this is like the heart of our church. Like our church his goal is that you would encounter God. You would not just have knowledge about God. I mean, it, we, we get to a place in our Christian life where you began to just settle in. Like you go to church, you read your Bible some, maybe you'll get, get that through a podcast or something else. You, you have a small group of Christians that you hang out with or you know. You just settle into the Christian life where it becomes like this thing you do without really consciously on a deeper level encountering God. Paul's prayer is that we would encounter him. That's it. That's the biggest, 
if you had to summarize all of it, it wants us to experience God. Like you are not destined and fated to grind it out for another 30 and 40 years here on this earth, basically having the same tendencies, the same patterns, the same habits, and then die and meet, go to heaven. Like you were not destined for that, Paul is saying. Uh, you were destined for so much more. You were destined, there's more of God. It's like if you're, you're settling in of Christianity right now is like going to the ocean, taking one of those little espresso cups and dipping in the ocean and being like, this is my experience. Have your little pinky out, you know, whatever. This is my experience with God. Like this is God so far. But the God, Paul is saying, that is your, what you've, you've settled into, but there's so much more. That's what, what Paul is getting at. There's so much more. Um, Jude asked me last night, uh, I think I've told him what my job is, but he was curious. He goes, what is your job? I was like, well, I'm a pastor. And without skipping a beat, Jude says, wait, you've passed away already? <laughs> I, I, I'm like, no, I, I, my, my son loves sci-fi. <laughs> I think that I'm here risen from the dead. I said, no, I'm a pastor. I, what does that mean? I, and people ask me this all the time, like at school pickup and other teenagers, like, what do you do? Like, what does that look? Well, I meet with people. I organize. I lead. I teach. I, 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 shep, I counsel people. I, I, do a, I do a lot. Of, I'm a jack of all trades, a master of none. Um, so I was trying to explain to Jude, and then it hit me kind of like with this passage and then with his brain and thinking about passing away, I just said, Jude, I help people get ready to meet God. Like that, if you really think about what my job is for you as your pastor, is I help you get ready to be ready to make room in your life to meet God. Not only when you die, but every day. Like, like this moment is practice. Like this is practice. We're practicing so that you would be ready on Monday morning to meet God. You see that? Like, that's, that's my job. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. You're, you're getting your life ready to meet God. God didn't just save you to stay the same. We were made to encounter and experience more and more of him. And it's as if, um, I know the Coke machines now just do the, like, scan your credit card now, which is weird, but you used to put quarters in, and some still do, and then sometimes you'd have the quarter get stuck, and you'd have to shake the machine, right? And, that, and that, I think what Paul is getting at is he, he sees that for many of us, the, the quarter has gone in, like the good news of Jesus is in, but sometimes we need, we, we need like God to kind of shake us alive. Um, we need, we need the, the quarter to drop. And I, I don't know about you, if you've had that kind of second moment where you, you understand and believe that God is real and loves you, but the quarter drops into a way where you, God is now your, your, your def definition of reality. Like he is your encounter. He is your, a deeper, deeper sense of knowing. Paul is praying that we would know God in this deeper way. Um, it reminds me of Karl Barth. He said, the aim of theology is not to get it known, but to get it lived, to get it lived. And Paul drops to his knees and the clearest way to understand this is to think through those first three chapters of basically chapters one through three of Ephesians as being in the stars. It's cosmic. 
this is the glorious riches of your inheritance. It's just very abstract. There's nothing really earthly about it. It's you've been sealed with the Spirit. You've, you've received forgiveness. You've been adopted as God's Son. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. Um, I, I pray that you would know God in, inexpressibly, that, that you are seated with Christ in the heavens. It's just very much in the stars. And then four through six, Paul's going to get into very much in the dirt. Like, here's how you walk out your life. Here's your gifts on this earth. Here's your relationships and how you orient them ethically. Um, here's how you live your day-to-day on the ground. And Paul's prayer is like the hinge between these two. It's the hinge where it goes from cosmic to personal, is right here at this prayer at the end of chapter 3. It holds both parts together. And a prayer that is, he's asking basically that, like that getting all that we know, letting the, asking, Paul's praying, would the quarter drop in for these people? Would what they know get into their bloodstream? Um, I love in the Gospel of Luke when it talks about Mary, and it says this phrase that she pondered these truths in her heart. She pondered these truths in her heart. Like there's this way of knowing that's deeper than rationale. Heart in the Bible is not just emotion. It's like this place where your body, your soul, your psyche, your emotions, your mind all collide and meet. Your intuition, it's something greater than all of those. Like that moment where you have this truth at the deepest place that's beyond, that's like kind of knowing. Do you know what I mean? There's a kind of knowing that's beyond rationale, beyond intuition. It's a deep, deep, deep knowing. And we have to find our deepest truth at this deep place is what Paul is getting at. So I want to talk about how Paul prays, what Paul prays, and to whom Paul prays. First, how does Paul pray? What I want to point out is that, again, he's praying in prison, in Rome, before a trial to the most, most powerful person in this region, which was Caesar. And this is how he prays. There's a soldier pacing back and forth, He's in his jail cell, he's stuck, he's on his knees with his elbows on his cot, the soldier's muttering things back and forth, he has one visitor that's ever visited him, someone to actually journal and write down the stuff that he's saying to send to these churches. And can you see Paul there? Paul's in prison, but he's not paralyzed by his problems. Like, what's amazing to me is that I've talked about those two things, prayer in the stars versus in the dirt. Paul is embodying that right now. He's in prison. He should be focused on his problems, focusing on how he can get uh, an appeal to Caesar of how he can get out. But Paul is in prison, and he's not paralyzed by hardship. His imagination is crying out not for relief for his problems, but for love. That we would grasp God, that he's pursued us. He's incarnating this whole letter. It's beautiful. That prayer holds together these realities of inglorious, beautiful riches, and holding together, moving that, and holds together harsh realities. That's what prayer is. It's holding the tension of these promises of glorious realities and also living in harsh realities. And so our reality is not, when we pray, sometimes we pray in one of these two ways. We focus in prayer in the stars or we pray in the dirt. Prayer in the dirt is focusing on basically having an agenda and asking God to co-sign your agenda. Praying in the dirt is basically knowing exactly what you're going to do, but then using prayer as a tag onto your set plans. 
It's after the, after the thought, your doing runs ahead before you receive any revelation. There's an unspoken but expressed belief that my action is actually more powerful than God's when you're praying in the dirt. We rarely consult God for those plans. Rarely, rarely is there any revelation, direction, or listening. Prayer in the dirt is revealed when we say we will pray for someone much more than we actually stop and pray. Um, we talk about God more than maybe we talk to God or listen to God. But prayer in the stars is this escapist prayer. It's, it's basically a lot of spiritual platitudes spilt forth that we pray, right? Like you you've hear those prayers. My favorite growing up was the Father, Father God crowd. It's like they use Father God to change gears in the prayer. I want to thank you, Father God, for the many blessings, Father God. I want to take, take you to the Jesus, Father God. I want to thank you for Jesus and the Holy Spirit, Father God, Father God, Father God. It's like there's this platitude way of praying where you're praying in the stars and you're not connected to real life. Like you're not connected to like the poor that you're praying for. It can't be embodied. You may pray for provision, but you would never drop off dinner at somebody's doorstep. You would lock yourself in a prayer closet, but never would you walk into the mess that Jesus would walk into. Like, so there's this sense of praying and praying on the mountaintop, but never coming down into the valley. The sun is moving. It had me looking too prayer in the stars-ish. There's this sense of eternal snuggle with Jesus praying in the stars that is never found in the New Testament. So dirt, praying in the dirt, there's a little imagination for the resources of heaven, but praying in the stars is you're captivated by the resources of heaven, but you have no relationship to bring those resources into earth. Paul is praying for all of that is, that is glorious and all of that that is real and gross and dirty and messy and not symmetrical to be wedded together. And how does he do that? He, he prays on his knees. He prays on his knees. Praying on one's knees was a way, it's not just reverence, it's a way of being immobile. It's a way of saying, I'm helpless. When's the last time you actually used your body and postured it in a different way when you pray? I would encourage you to sometime this week pray on your knees just to remember like, what it is to use your body, embody faith, and when Paul prayed on his knees, this was not, we today think, oh, that's, I've seen people do that. I would probably think about asking us to all do it today, but I'll leave that up to you. The, the ground is hard. But um, it is a way where Paul, Jewish people prayed standing up with their hands raised. Actually, when we raise our hands in worship, side note, it's like maybe one of the most ancient forms of prayer, ancient forms of worship. It's not just this new age, oh, I feel goosebumps because the core changed. Like, it's, it's like, which is fun when that happens, but it's, it's a sense of, like, of ancient form of prayer. Paul prays on his knees, and then when I did some research on this, it was the Gentiles that would pray on his knees, on their knees. So Paul is saying, I am a Jew, and I'm going to pray and connect with the people that I am praying for in an embodied way that they, they, they pray. Um, when we pray on our knees, we're immobile. It's a way of recognizing that I'm on this ground, but I need resources from heaven to strengthen me. And the first thing you should notice when Paul prays is he doesn't start listing off their needs. We've talked about this before, but he doesn't, 
Paul knows the church's needs. He writes a lot of letters where he goes through difficulties and and lawsuits of churches about to sue each other over things and racism within the church and all these things. Paul knows all the needs, but he doesn't pray their needs. Paul prays promises. He doesn't say, well, I know mom's upcoming hip surgery is happening. And, And I'm not saying that praying for needs are bad, but Paul prays promises, not problems. And I think we obviously have freedom to pray whatever, but man, he knows that always is going to have another problem. There's always going to be another problem that comes. Instead, he prays that they would be strengthened, bless you, be strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inner being. Prays to grasp the love of Christ and know that which is unlovable and that we would experience God in a deeper way. Um, Often our prayers are reactions to a problem, right? Like this sense of reaction to what's going on. Um, But we have a promise, but we still pray based on problems. Uh, Many of us, I I was thinking about this with like foster children or children that are adopted. Um, Often if you talk to someone who's fostered a child or adopted a child, one of my friends, he said that, you know, they'll they'll still take food out of the, the cupboard or the pantry and bring it into their room and have little niblets of a, of a granola bar or whatever just because they're afraid they might not get enough food, right? This sense of scarcity mindset. But Paul is saying that there's, there's like great promise, right? Like there's great promise with God. We don't have to carry, we don't have to hide in our prayer life with like these little niblets, like focusing on our problems and making sure we have, like trying to fix it with our own innovation. He's saying we have a God with so many promises, promised future, sealed with the Spirit, adopted, chosen, lavished God's love upon us. Um, If you think about what Jesus has promised, he's promised three things. I can summarize basically three things that Jesus promised. I will be with you always. Um, And you can live a fearless life, not crippled by fear, and then you will always have trouble. You will always have trouble. So when we only focus on our problems, we're focusing on the thing that God said we will always have instead of focusing on the resources of heaven that can come down and make a difference in our life. Um, And so what does this look like? How How do we... turn this in our prayer life over. Um, I think of it this way. Uh, we, we can't avoid fear. Fear is always going to happen. We can't avoid anxiety. Anxiety is always going to happen. Fear is going to always be littered into your life every moment. That's going to happen until the day we die. But what does it look like to take the fear instead of focusing on the, the problem, turning that into gratitude and request? When we pray our fears... And we turn that into gratitude and request. For example, if you say, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my loved one. And what if we said, instead of focusing on that fear, we said we turn that into first, we transform that in our mind to gratitude. Thank you for giving me someone to love. Thank you. Let me, and then we turn that into a request. Let me cherish every moment I have with them, however long I have on this earth. Maybe you have a problem with a coworker and, if, and you're, you're concerned with what they think of you. And instead of fixating on that person's view of you, what if you said gratitude? God, thank you that we are all made different. 
that we are made in the image of God, that we are fearlessly and wonderfully made. God, forgive me for turning that person into a mirror in which I'm trying to gain their approval um, and help me, Lord, to see you as you see me, see myself as you see me. Um, Or I'm afraid of being alone. God, thank you that you are my ultimate home, that you are near to me. Uh, Today, let me know your nearness. Let me taste your forever promised future. This is the way we pray promise, not just pray problems, that we begin to believe the promise over God on our life. Um, So that's what we pray. We also pray, he says, to, to know the the, the, this beautiful prayer, the length and the height and the breadth and the love of God, which is just a beautiful phrase. I just love this phrase. I, I mean, it's one of those where you just ponder and you, it's, you don't know how to teach it because it's just, man, to know God in such a way, to know God in this great encounter way, um, it's just beautiful. Uh, I, I, I don't know the best way to teach that, but I do feel like God's saying, like, think about the length of your life. I mean, this is one way you could think of it. Think about the love of God over the length of your life, the, the, the highs and lows, the ups and downs, your, your story. Think about the width of God's love, like how much he's loved you no matter where you've lived. Think about the depths and the, the lows of God's love, like the, the, the ebb and flow of the, when, he, when you were in your lowest point, his love was there, and when you were at your highest point, God's love is there. There's a sense of Paul wanting us just to experience God in such an encountering way. Um, it reminds me of uh, the story, I think I wrote it down here, one second, of, um, of Anne Lamott. Of Anne Lamott. She, she talks about this way where she, she, had, she had been a Christian for a long time, but she had experienced Jesus in such a way that just brought her such freedom, um, such great radical love and encounter. Uh, She tells of this experience that she was unmarried and she was pregnant and she decided to have an abortion. She coped with the pain in her usual way, smoking dope and getting drunk. And when she started hemorrhaging a week later, she sobered up fast. It was that night she became aware of someone in the room with her. And she writes, the feeling was so strong that I actually turned on the light for a moment to make sure no one was there. Of course, there wasn't. But after a while, in the dark again, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was Jesus. What she felt was appalled. In her circle of family and friends, nobody was a Christian. They were all like the Ephesians, worldly sophisticated and in need of no one but themselves. But Jesus remained in the corner. She said, watching me with patience and love, and I squinched my eyes shut. But that didn't help because that's not what I was seeing him with. And she had been going to church for some Sundays, drawn into a funky little church, mostly by the music. It says the next Sunday she went back, she could not escape those feelings. It was as if the people were singing in between the notes, weeping and joyful at the same time. And I felt their voices or something was rocking me in its bosom, holding me like a scared child. And I opened up to that feeling and it washed over me. When she got home, she opened the door, hung her head, and said to Jesus, F it, I quit. She said those out loud and says, all right, you can come in. We, we cannot assume, I cannot assume that you know and experience 
and have tasted the breadth and length and height of God's love. Like, I, as your pastor calling you, asking you, hey, I'm here to help you draw near to God. I'm here to help prepare you to meet with God. Like, I don't know if Christ is a grudging, like, if you think about making room for God, is he just like this grudging house guest in your life? Like, is he kind of like the aunt and uncle of Harry Potter that crammed Harry into the cupboard under the stairs? Like, how much room is, are you giving for yourself to experience God? Now, we can't make revelation happen, but we can position ourselves for that encounter. We can make space to encounter God. But you cannot encounter God when these things are always on or whatever it is that you use for escape. But we, when we begin to make position ourselves to encounter God, to just sit in God's presence, overwhelm us with his love, to just say, God, I want to bask in your love. I want to be overwhelmed by your love. I want to encounter you. What does it look like to, to organize your day, to position yourself? What is the rhythm? Um, is it going for walks and just going, God, just enamor me with whatever I see? Is it sitting with God's word, seeing all the phrases, just being like, oh my goodness, when's the last time you, I hate to say these simple things, but it's just important to take inventory. When's the last time you opened your Bible and it was just you and your Bible and you begin to see things? Like I was looking at the scripture the other day and I was reading, it was connected to this passage to me. It was um, John 6 when, when there was no food and everybody was hungry and Jesus asked his disciples what do you think we should do for them? Which is like, you're Jesus, I think you should know, but what I put down at the bottom was instinct test because their instinct was to pray in the dirt. It was like, well, this kid's got two fishes, five loaves, and like, what about this stuff, son of God? What do you think about this? And like, they were sitting with the son of God. Jesus knew what to do, but he wants to know what is your instinct when you have a problem? Is your instinct to go into the dirt and try to fix it? Or is it to pull on the resources of heaven? Is it to pull on the resources of heaven and bring the resources of heaven down into your life? Like those things, like nothing, like this Holy He says that I want you to have the depths and the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Like I, can, I, can, I can't give you that. I, I even feel weird teaching right now because it's almost like, can we just make space for that in your life? Um, to experience God's Spirit in a fresh way, to, to encounter His love. And when we experience the Spirit, it says that the Spirit will give you the knowledge of God's love. That's the Spirit's role in your life. Yes, the Holy Spirit does deliverance and healing and signs and wonders, all for that stuff. But the ultimate goal of the Holy Spirit's life is so that you would know that you would live a life that you are loved by God that you would live a life that you are loved by God. So that's, God's, that's Paul's prayer. And then who does he pray to? Finally, Damon, you can come up. He prays, he says, to the Father. To the Father. This intimate relationship with, with Jesus. Um, I was thinking about kids' faces when I thought about this and how um, if you, we have a lot of babies in this church and uh, a lot of kids, and you know, there's that stage where they just smile all the time. And, you know, um, I was thinking about this when you, you 
study like why they're smiling. They're not smiling because they're happy. You can say, oh, you little stinker, ah, look at you, like you look goofy, and they'll be like, ha, ha, and they'll smile because you're smiling at them. They're mirroring what they see, right? If, they, if, if you grow up with a family member who smiles all the time and does the googie, googie, googie stuff, they're going to smile back at you. They're going to be learn to smile. But on the flip side, when we talked about foster children in, orf- in, in, in orphanages, or, or they may not have gotten that because the orphanage had busy people trying to take care of everybody's needs. It may take them longer to smile. Paul is, he's, he's this depth of Paul. What, what's amazing to me is um, when you pray, it's, it's a mirror. The words you use in prayer, it's a mirror of what you believe in about God. Like when you pray, it, it reveals the kind of God that you believe in. Um, and Paul's prayer to me just is a beautiful picture. It mirrors that he truly, truly experienced the depths of the riches of God's promises and brought them down into the dirt. Um, it wasn't a, eh, you know, God, like, whatever you are. No, I'm not saying there's not. You always start praying with who you are and what you got. Always pray what you have. Do not come to God trying to impress. But as we grow in Christ, we know that his promises are what we pray, that we can rely on those promises. We can pull them from the stars into earth. Um, so let's just pray for a moment. Let's take time to... Take a minute to reflect on what God is saying to you.